All right, go ahead and take a seat. Go ahead and find your seats. Find a seat. So what were some of your favorite Michael Jackson songs? Man, so I remember, I used to live in Chicago, Z95, I used to go to sleep listening to Z95, I had my um, headphones that had the built-in radio tuner, you guys remember those days? Pretty high tech. Uh, so, you know, I'd put it on, put out the antenna and go to sleep, you know? And I'll never forget when Man, or Man in the Mirror first came out, it's like, yes, you're speaking to me, Michael. You know, I'm like in fourth grade or third grade or something, like, yes, I need, to, I need to talk to the Man in the Mirror. Ask me if he's willing to make a change. Uh, what else? What's your favorite songs? Billy Jean. Jean. Yeah. Got some custody issues going on. <laughs> what, 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 uh, anyway, what, what are their favorite songs you guys got? PYT. Yes. Anybody have the Thriller record? Right? Where I think, is he, if I remember this right, is he, uh, when you open up the record, is he lying down with like a cat? Is there like a cat, right, like a tiger or something going on? Am I misremembering this? I'm pretty sure that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Obviously, uh, my answer is, uh, we're talking with this crew over here, Human Nature. Any Human Nature fans? This is so good, so good. It's his best song uh, by far, besides like ABC. And I actually really like Ben. You guys like listen to Ben? Talking about B-sides, that's a deep cut. Ben, I don't know who, we don't, no one knows who Ben is. But he wrote this song to Ben, and it's such a good song. Anyways, if you haven't listened to it, what's that? It's a what? No, it's not. Is it really? Ben is a rat? Are you messing with me? Was there ever a song about bubbles? The monkey? Anyways, what are we talking about here? Okay. Uh, yeah, so Human Nature's right answer as you're filling, uh, if you're taking notes. Uh, okay, so... One quick announcement before we hop into the teaching today, and it is a weird one, just FYI, it's a weird one, uh, but it's a really cool B-side. In two weeks, March 12th, I think that's in two weeks, on March 12th, we're going to have a family meeting here. So not a family service, we'll still have kids uh, and youth ministry going on that morning, uh, but we will have a family meeting in here. And what that means is, you ever have those times where your parents are like, don't have any friends over tonight? Uh, where it's just us, we're going to talk about something, and it's going to be either really, you're like, this is going to be either really good or really bad, like, is this an intervention for me, and my parents find out what I did at school or whatever. Uh, This is a super positive thing. It's a really exciting thing, but it's somewhat sensitive. It'll make, you're like, what are we talking, trust me, it'll make sense. It's really exciting. It's not like a spin that's exciting. It is really exciting. No one's leaving. No one's like, there's nothing that can be misconstrued as negative in this whole thing, but it is somewhat sensitive, which will make sense on that morning. So because of that, we're not streaming uh, online. There will be no podcast of that morning. And so if you're like, well, I come every other week. Uh, if it's, you know, I'll come if it's not too cold or not too hot, uh, then I'll come to church. Then uh, you're, you're going to miss out when we're talking about that morning. So March 12th, we'll remind you again next week. Uh, but here's the thing. We can announce things 20 times, and people will still go, I never knew. It's like we told you every week. So uh, March 12th, family meeting. It's going to be, it's actually more than exciting. It's actually a historic moment for us as a church family. And so uh, now that you've got your ears perked up for what the heck is going on, it's awesome. Michael Jackson is coming uh, with Ben to, <laughs> sorry, RIP. Too soon? Too soon, guys? Uh, okay. 
All right, so we're in a series right now called uh, B-Sides, and if you love like your favorite artist, like a Michael Jackson or whoever you like, uh, some of your favorite songs are not like the, the entry-level songs that everyone else likes, that you like the deep cuts. You like the ones that no one else heard of, right? So this is what this whole series is about, lesser-known stories in Scripture that are really meaningful. And the whole idea for this series is that if, if, if we can highlight some of these lesser-known B-Side stories, then every story matters. Every story matters, and if every story matters, then your story matters. My story matters, right? Because our lives aren't highlight reels. I don't know about you, my life is not a highlight reel. My life seems pretty normal most of the time. And actually, most of the time, my life not only seems normal, but most days, I think if we're honest, we feel like we can be doing better, right? Most days, we look at kind of how we're falling short. We look at our uh, fitness or our eating habits or our time management or our financial management, our spiritual life, we're going, oh, I could be doing a little better, I could be doing a little better. And so not only does life not feel uh, like highlight reel, not only does life feel normal, it feels like we're kind of missing the mark a lot of times. And I want you to think about the people that have had the most impact on your life, the people that uh, you are here today in, in your career as a believer or closer to being a believer. You're in church for some reason, right? There's people that have made an impact on your life, and my guess is, if you were to say, uh, if, you were to, if they were to hear you talk about them and how much of an impact they've made on your life, they'd probably be shocked, right? They'd probably be going, I had no idea I had that much of an impact on you. If, I remember there were so many times where I hear secondhand, I was just talking to a buddy of mine who, who uh, pastors out in, in Ohio, and he was a small group kid in my high school small group forever ago, and now he's running this great church out there, and I heard secondhand from like his cousin, I think, that uh, what an impact these conversations I had with him years ago, we're talking like in the late 90s, early 2000s, of an impact that uh, we had on his life. And the crazy thing is he talked about like these drives down the highway and running into Ikea and airport runs and these conversations that we had that were so impactful to him and I literally don't remember them. It's like they never happen. And it's not like they're not meaningful to me. I'm sure if I remembered them, they'd be deeply meaningful, right? And, it's, and I'm not unique. I'm sure there's so many stories that you have where if you were to tell, you know, if someone were to tell you how much you, difference you've made in their lives, you're like, I don't even remember that. Because most of the times when we impact people, when people impact you, it feels like a normal situation, and that's what these B-sides are all about. Taking a few extra minutes to show up. Taking a few extra minutes to encourage someone. Not being in a rush. Like, those are the impacting moments. Mother Teresa said this. You may have heard of her. She said, uh, <laughs> there are no great acts, only small acts done with great love. Right? Think about it. I want you to really think about your mom or your coach. Someone, yeah, actually, straight on, Mike. When you think about someone who's had an impact on your life, right? Um, it probably seemed pretty normal to them. They just were, they just showed up, right? Like your mom just made food every night, right? It just showed up. And for you, you're like, I miss those days. And for her, she's like, I don't miss doing the dishes. And like, I don't, but they were meaningful. Why? And half of, half of making a difference is just showing up, right? And so, Never underestimate what God can do with the B-side moments in your life. And so today we're going to talk about one of those B-side stories. And it's a story that, it's about someone that's a really unlikely hero for a lot of reasons, which we'll talk about. It's a story that probably many of you have never even heard of. And if you have, hopefully we'll shed some new light on it. But it's about a, uh, a, an assassin. 
in the Bible, who was actually potentially, some scholars believe, a lot of scholars believe, that he was handicapped. He was disabled. But that disability actually became his advantage. And a obese king, actually the, the scriptures call him extremely fat. Okay, so I'm not being insensitive. I'm just reading the Bible, guys. Okay, so it's about a disabled assassin and an obese king. And what seemed like a defect in this guy's life actually became his advantage. What made him different was actually a thing that made the difference in his life. And so today I want you to think about something. If you've counted yourself out from God using you, why? Why? I want you to think about that. If you've counted yourself out, well, God can't use me, well, why, why can't he? Maybe the reason you think he can't use you is the, the, the very reason how God can use you in a unique way. And maybe what you see as a liability is actually a special way that God can use you to reach people that other people can't. I, I can't tell you how many times I've t people have told me, well, I can't reach people because I never went, I'm not a pastor. I'm like, trust me, you can reach people that I can't because you're not a pastor. Because by the time your friend you know, finds out I'm a pastor, they change their posture. They change the way they talk. They change what they talk about and what they don't talk about, right? I can't tell you how many times in the gym where they find out I'm a pastor and they're like, I'm so sorry for everything that I just said during that workout and the things that came. It's like, why? Why do you feel like you'd be filtered with me? So you can reach people the fact that you're not a pastor, the fact that you didn't go to seminary. So we're going to jump into this story. Judges chapter 3, verse 12 says this, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon, just great names here, King Eglon of Moab, the Moabites, control over Israel because of their evil. So you can keep that scripture up there. It says, once again, once again. So Israel has this habit uh, of, of, of walking away from God, of then getting into trouble because they walked away from God, and then getting desperate and then praying one of these Hail Mary prayers. I'm sure none of us have ever gotten into a situation like this where we walked away from God, got into a mess, and they're like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. Right? I'm sure none of us have gotten into a situation like that, but that was Israel. And their story, their story of Israel, the story of God and Israel was not about the goodness of Israel. It wasn't about the greatness of Israel, about the goodness of God. It's the same with you and the same with me because we fall in the same cycles. At least I do, right? Where <laughs> we fall away from God, we get into situations that we wouldn't have got into if we didn't fall away from God, built some habits, right? Some deep synaptic highways away from God. And then we get ourselves into a situation where we're going, okay, God, I remember you now. If you can bail me out of this, right? And then God bails you out. And then what happens? The pressure's off. You get comfortable again. Life is good again. You're like, God, who? And then the cycle starts over and over again. Look, we're not, I'm not saying that we, I'm not condoning sin. I'm not saying that we stay in sin and keep on asking God for forgiveness. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that you may not be where you want to be. I'm not where I want to be, but you're not where you used to be either. Right? And so on the grand, in the grand scheme of things, we're, we'll never get good. I, want, I just want to make sure we're on the same page, like theologically. Like in the grand scheme of things, we'll never get good. By human standards, sure, people will look at you and say you're, you're a good person or whatever, hopefully. But compared to God, if you have like evil, <laughs> right, devil, horn, or whatever, evil, and then you have ultimate good over here, we'll never... Read enough books, pray hard enough to be all the way over here 
close to God. Like there's Jesus and you. Like you'll never get there. A lot of us are going from here to here. Right? We're getting, we're getting less terrible. We're going from terrible to pretty bad. Right? But it's progress. And this is kind of the, the, the path that we're on. So if you ever, uh, you ever experienced what was happening in this situation, so they walked away from God, and because they did evil in God's sight, another power came in and took control. King Eglon, the Moabites, they were in captivity. They were under their control. They had to pay tribute, which we'll go over in a second. You ever experienced that? You ever walk into a pattern of sin, and then you realize that some things have control over your heart that you never meant to, you never intended to? And I'm not saying you're like a zombie or whatever. I'm just saying you ever, you ever wake up one day after making decisions away from God and you realize that you get angry more than you used to? You feel that way? Or maybe someone close to you tells you that you get angry more than you used to? What's wrong with you? You're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not irritable. If they just would have, if they just did, and if they, it's them. Come on, maybe. Maybe you're more selfish than you used to. You used to be generous with your time, with your talents, but then now you're, you're more self-centered? Maybe you're more materialistic than you used to be. You're going, what happened? I, I wasn't like this before. Maybe you, you linger or you watch things online that you swore you would never watch online and all of a sudden you find yourself doing stuff you never thought you would do. Maybe you're more impatient or you're more easily offended. You used to have thick skin. Things just roll off your back, but man, you get offended now. Someone could just comment on your post on social and you're offended, like it bothers you. You're going, what happened? Why am, why am I so sensitive? Maybe, I've, I've talked to quite a few guys that have kind of felt this way where there's almost this resistance to spiritual things built up in you. Where it, like a magnet used to be attracted to spiritual things, times of worship, times of prayer, church, small group, those kind of things significant conversations and then somehow along the way it's almost like the magnet got flipped and now you're almost like are repelled by things that are jesus related like what happened and you can say well it's because those christians or the things i see on the news or, but you know it's something in here what is that what is that Either way, there's something that is controlling you, something living in your heart. You don't have your hands on the steering wheel alone. There's something else that has their hands on the steering wheel as well. And this is where Israel is at. King Eglon, the Moabites, are controlling Israel. Next verse, verse 13, it says that Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies. And then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. So Eglon gets stronger, gets some ites to follow him, and they control Jericho, the city of Palms. It's a big deal. Next verse, verse 15. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. I love that. Lord raised up again, like we're going to do this again. A rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud. Right? I'm sure you guys are like, man, I'm going to name my kid Ehud, my next kid what a weird name you think about it. Ehud. Anyway, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. Ehud is our hero here. Here's what's interesting. So Israel cries out for help. Uh, the word tribute there is actually this idea of giving offerings to God. Well, you would give tribute to God. The same idea as tithe, to give tithe to God. 
But the understanding, uh, historically, is that they uh, strayed so far away from God that they were not only not giving God uh, his tribute, not only giving God his tithe, they actually were taking what was supposed to go to God and giving it to Eglon. Interesting. Because whatever you put your finances toward, you identify as your source. You put your trust, your hope, your source of your peace. And so they had shifted over uh, to Eglon. So also what's weird is, they notice it doesn't say they fought back. 18 years, you would, see, you would think there's a rebellion, a skirmishes here and there, nothing. They were just totally defeated, externally totally defeated, internally. But then what woke them up? What woke them up to say, God, help us? It was pain. They finally just had enough. They're going, something has to change. Look, I don't believe theologically. I believe in a, a, a theology of suffering. I think it's actually lacking in a lot of Christian theology, this theology of suffering, of how do we suffer well, that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we can, uh, our, our 401Ks to go up and for us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Like there is this sense of, Jesus said, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. Like there is a sense of, hey, this is going to be hard. Sometimes what we can do is we can take the American dream of, you know, pursuit of happiness. And we can just attach Jesus to that and go, Jesus wants me to pursue happiness too. But the problem with that is like all of scripture, right? Because what we see like in the New Testament is when the disciples followed Jesus, a lot of them were executed. There's not one apostle, the original 12, not one of them retired with a pension plan. All of them were executed. So this is the model. And so with that, God allows pain sometimes in our lives. And when he allows it, he can redeem it if we're surrendered to him. Not only can he redeem it, he can give purpose and mission to it. Here's a few things I know about pain. The first thing is it unites us like comfort cannot. Pain can unite us like comfort cannot. Let me illustrate it. My mom, um, (laughs) pain, my mom, Piano lessons, tennis lessons, grades, so many. Uh, someone asked me the other day, they're like, do you remember any uh, Korean? I was like, only uh, the cuss words that my mom would yell at me. Uh, but so anyways, uh, the colorful sides of Korean, that's what I remember. Rooted deeply in my heart. Anyways, my mom went through a few bouts of cancer, of breast cancer, and how hard that was. Now, for us, his entire family, obviously for her with all the, all the treatments and everything, um, but it was hard for the whole family. Now, here's what I can say. If I were to say, raise your hand, if you or a loved one uh, went through a battle with cancer, you can go and raise your hand. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, a good chunk of the room, right? Now, if I were to say, hey, we're going to have a group after small group or after church, and we're going to talk about just pain. What was that like? Not, what did you learn from it? And let's, you know, it's, no, no, what was that like? How did you guys get through that? What were some of the hard things? We would leave that group with our hearts knitted together. Because there's something that connects us together, that pain connects our hearts together in a way that I can say, whose 401k is up this year? Who's got so much money right now? There's, who's got the comfiest couch? Who's got, you know, Who's had great stuff happen this week? That wouldn't connect us in the same way at all, right? So pain unites us in a way that comfort can, but the hard thing is sometimes in church, we ignore pain. 
So we're having a hard time driving up to church, and we feel like we have to put the mask on, come to church, and fake it. No, no, no. Here is where the mask comes off. Here is where we can say, look, you're having a hard day? I get it. Can we pray for you? Right? This is where we can support one another. So pain unites us like comfort can. Secondly, pain teaches us what comfort cannot. Right? If we were to say, raise your hand if you, if you uh, ever learned a, a great lesson through a hard, challenging season, all of our hands would be up. Right? And if I said, how many of you guys never want to go through that season again? All of our hands would be up. Right? So Pain teaches us what comfort cannot. And lastly, pain gives us a mission and purpose that comfort can. There is something about pain. You look at any great nonprofit in any organization, you'll see that their founders many times birthed the vision out of pain, pain that they experienced, pain that their loved one experienced, pain that they saw another part of a human race experience, and they said no. I'm going to do whatever I can to stand in the gap so this doesn't keep happening, right? And that's what rallies us around. We see the picture of someone that needs clean water, needs food, and we're going, that's not okay. Pain gives us a mission and a purpose, right? Someone loses a kid to a drunk driver and then starts organizations to say, not on my watch. I'm going to make sure that every parent that goes through this is taken care of, right? These through, through pain can give us mission, that your pain can actually become how God can use you. So the Lord sends a rescuer, but the rescuer isn't what Israel expected. Oftentimes in Scripture, we see, they'll, it'll say that the leader is, was tall, right? Because tall is like more leaderish. I don't know. Tall or they're handsome or they're strong or they'll give this lineage of who their parents were and their parents' parents were, right? None of that with Ehud. The only descriptor we have of Ehud, other than his beautiful name, is that he's left-handed. That's it. Which is odd, because you know that he's from the tribe of Benjamin, if you caught that. Benjamin, actually directly translated, means tribe of the right-handed. Isn't that weird? Or sons of the right-handed. So you have this left-handed guy uh, that is from the tribe of the right-handed. And when it says right-handed, actually... The translation directly is restricted in his right hand. So some scholars believe that not only was he left, he, was, he wasn't left-handed because he was naturally stronger in his left hand. He was left-handed because he had some sort of disability in his right hand, some sort of impairment in his right hand. So he had to train himself to be left-handed. Took him a lot longer. And those, those of you guys that have some sort of uh, like a learning disability, like an ADHD or you, something that, that, that made you have to work harder in school, do you realize the ratio of first-time millionaires that have some sort of learning disability? Because they've taught, they've learned to fight hard. They, they didn't get as easy as everybody else. So it taught them, them to fight harder. This is Ehud, man. This is Ehud. So watch how his weakness becomes his advantage. Because God is looking for pioneers. God isn't looking for people that's like, hey, what's the easiest road? I want to use that person. God, God uses the pioneers who see things that are not and sees with eyes of faith and says, man, I can help build that. Right? There's a story about David Livingstone. If you guys know David Livingstone, he was a missionary in Africa uh, back in the day. And he, was, he would always go out, out in the bush. One of these like hardcore guys that just aren't that fun to be around a lot of times. Because they're like, there's an escalator. Let's just run up the stairs. Like one of those kind of guys on, to the extreme. So there's a missionary society that wanted to send missionaries to support David in his efforts. And they sent him a letter. And is this what they wrote? David Livingstone, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to send other men to join you. 
David Livingstone has recorded as sending a letter back saying, if you have men who will only come if there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will, I only want men who will come if there is no road at all. Like some of you guys that are entrepreneurs are like, yes, right? Some of you guys that joined Voice because you heard it was a church plan and a new church, like, yes. Because again, we're not where we want to be as a church or as a new church, but we're not where we used to be either. We're super grateful for where God has brought us, but we see with eyes of faith for what God is going to do in this church in the upcoming years. And you know who's going to get really frustrated at voice, and they have throughout the years, is how come you don't have this, and how come you don't have small groups or left-handed soccer moms that are nearsighted? It's like, we don't, but there's a church on the street that has those for you. And if that's what you're looking for, do that. But man, if you want to help build something, if you want to help build something to reach people in a unique way, and I think we're uniquely positioned to reach people that other churches can't, and vice versa, they're reaching people that we can't. But if you want to help build something, and with eyes of faith go, I don't see a road, but we better get digging. Let's build a road. Then this is the right place for you. So that's the kind of man Ehud is. He's not the person going, why can't I just press a button? There's no easy button for this. He's like, all right, let's get this done. Cain's my right hand. I'll figure out how he's my left hand. We'll figure it out. So verse 16, it says this. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. Do you know why Ehud strapped it to his right thigh? It's not a trick question. Because he can reach it with his left hand. Because you look at any sort of like, whether you're like into like uh, katanas or like European swords play or whatever, or maybe you LARP on the weekends. I don't know what you do. Uh, so if you're right-handed, you, it's on the left thigh, right? So if you're going through a security checkpoint, where would they check for a weapon? Your left thigh, because you're right-handed, right? So if Ehud is going through a security checkpoint, which he will here, they look at his right hand, probably... Well, a lot of scholars believe some sort of disability in his right hand. Check the left thigh, no weapon, not a threat, not a threat. So, verse 17, here's what happens. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, talking about Ehud. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, this is the Bible, who was very fat. He was very fat. Uh, some translations say extremely obese. He's not a little guy, big boy. So, after delivering the payment, Ehud went, started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. So he starts back with, with his guys, and then he sends them on, and he, he, he turns around. It says, when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon, and he said, I have a secret message for you. Everybody loves secrets, right? TMZ is built on this. So he's like, he leans in, Eglon, I got a message for you. It's like, for me? All right. So he goes, so the king commanded all of his servants, be quiet. And he sent them out of the room. Out of the room. Why would the Bible, why would the verse, and keep that up there, why would the verse say that he was very fat? It's going to make sense in a second here. They're not just dogging on Eglon here. All right, so it says that he sends his men away so, they, uh, so that he could have privacy. And then Ehud sends his men away because what he's about to do, he can only do himself. He's about to have a Jason Bourne moment. Okay, so he's about to do this himself. And so he, does, he doesn't want, in case it goes south, he doesn't want his men. There's, there's, no, there's no indication that his men even knew what Ehud was doing. There's almost this idea of, oh, i got to tell the king something. I'll catch up with you guys later. Right? Deniability. So if it goes wrong, it falls on Ehud. Well, what's Ehud about to do? About to find out. Next verse. Ehud walks over to Eglon, who is sitting alone in a cool room upstairs. And Ehud said, I have a, I have a message from God for you. All right. So they're in what's called, this says the, the, a, a cool room upstairs. Other translations say a summer parlor. Right, as we all have in our homes. What this is, is when it was really hot, 
uh, there was this room that was constructed to, it would stay cool, right? It wasn't for everybody, it was just for the king. So other people could not go in there uninvited without the king's permission. This is a place for a big old Eglon to just chill, okay? This is the moment Ehud's been waiting for. It's just him and Eglon in this private chambers. Everyone's gone. This is like an Ego Montoya moment, right? I'm Ehud Montoya. You have hurt my family for 18 years prepared to die, right? Say it again. So he, this is what happens. It says that as Eglon rose from his seat, verse 21, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. This is about to get real descriptive. It says the dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. A foot, think of a foot-long Subway sandwich, right? Plunged so deep into his belly that his handle disappears. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. And you guys, I think the Bible is boring, man. You just need to read more of the Bible. I remember the first time I read this, I was probably 17 or 18 years old, and I just wrote in the margins, uh, what? <laughs> it's like, what? Really? And I'm like, I have, I have too much of like an imaginative. I'm just playing this out in my head. It's like, okay, I got to stop. So we'll just, that's, that's, if you're like doing youth ministry, you camp on that a little longer. We're going to scoot on past that. You've, you've seen Walking Dead. So you, you can picture what happens here. Verse 23, next verse. Then he had closed and locked the doors of the room. So no one else would definitely come in now and escape down the latrine. Yeah. Exactly. I tried to look this up to go, maybe I'm reading this wrong. Maybe when they say escape down the latrine, it means he jumped through the window by the latrine. No, no. He escaped through the hole in the toilet. All right. So it's not like a little hole. If they didn't have toilets, like we have like Moen or Kohler toilets today. Like it was like, you ever seen Slumdog Millionaire? Right. You should watch it and you'll have, you'll know what this is talking about. Where he jumps through this hole and into stuff. They have a situation going on. He got a little dirty, a little stinky. But sometimes you got to get your hands dirty if you want to follow God. Can I be actually, can I even camp on this for a second? There's some of us that want to be faithful to God. We just never want to sweat or do hard work or be faithful after the emotions are gone anymore. Following God, pursuing a dream, being faithful. Do you know what it looks like a lot of times? Hard work. It looks like showing up early. It means showing up when you don't want to, when it's inconvenient, when it's really nice out. You're like, but I'm committed to, that's what being faithful looks like. Verse uh, 24. So Ehud escapes through the latrine, pulls a little Jason Bourne moment. Uh, verse 24, it says, After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be losing the latrine in the room, so they waited. Some of your kids have done this for you outside their door. How long are they going to be in there? But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned. <laughs> you, go, you okay in there? And they got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. They wouldn't go in uninvited. Right? This is the king's private uh, parlor. They're going, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Before you, before you get on king on too much, come on. Some of you guys, the bathroom is your sanctuary, isn't it? It's your little fortress of solitude. It's your little escape hatch where your, your family, if they can't find you, some of, maybe it's your kid. You're like, if I haven't seen this person in, in a while and it's real quiet and quiet's become suspicious for a while, you're like, they're in the bathroom. 
They're sitting in the bathroom emailing or on their phone playing a video game. Like, I'm just trying to escape. We need some me time. All right. So apparently they're used to him being in the bathroom for a while, but even got to a, mo- a point where they're going, okay, come on, seriously. I mean, how long can you be in the bathroom, right? So they go in there, they find a key, they bust in, even through the pain of potentially being uh, prosecuted or even executed, depending on the king's mood of the day. And they go in there anyways, and they find him dead. Happens for us, the story is Ehud goes and rallies the men back. Probably They're probably like, what did you step in, right? He probably smells. He's covered in stuff, as you can imagine, the king's stuff. Uh, and then he rallies the Israel to go and fight against the 10,000 men of Eglon, decisive victory. And they get Israel back. This is in verse uh, 30. It says, So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. 80 years. So two generations had peace because of Ehud. Because he was willing to overcome his disability. That in a tribe of right-handed people, he uses left hand as an advantage, not a liability. That his unique place of weakness, his unique place of shame, his unique place of pain was exactly what God used to make a difference. So, as we close, a couple quick thoughts. One, God will use our weaknesses and our handicaps for his will if we let him. If we let him. And I put weaknesses and handicaps in quotes. Because you see them as a handicap or a weakness, but I don't, I don't look at them that way. I think they're very thing. That could be where God uses them. So if you went back to the question we thought about earlier today, where, where, do you, where in your life do you think God could use me but? God could use me but I'm too young. God can't use me, I'm too young. Or God can't use me, I'm too old. Or God can't use me, I'm too new of a Christian. Like there's like a, you have to serve God for X number of years before God can use you. Or, you know, I, I, God can't use me. I've, I've, I've been sheltered and been a Christian my whole life. What would I know about reaching unchurched people? I've been churched my whole life. Or maybe I, God can't use me because I'm, I'm too busy with little kids. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Or man, God can't use me because my mouth is a little too unfiltered, a little too raw. Right? Again, I think God can use you more than he can use me at times. God can't use me. I'm not trained. I didn't go to school for this. God can't use me because I have my doubts. I have my skeptical questions. God can't use me because I have questions about God. Or God can't use me because I deal with anxiety. I struggle with depression. God can't use me because I'm just a, no, I just, I just own a business, man. I just, I'm not a pastor. I just own a business. But here's the thing is when you decide to be a Christian, you don't become an attender. You become a follower. Right? When you become a Christian, you don't become an attender. You become a follower. In other words, there's no such thing as an inactive follower of God. So imagine if you go on like a hike up Mount Kilimanjaro. And the way Tanzania works is you have to hire a guide. So you have a guide that is telling you what to do, essentially. And imagine if the guy goes, okay, we're going to hike eight hours today up to this point. You're like, got it. And then you get a chair and you sit in it. He's like, okay, we're out. Totally get it. I agree with you. We should do that. I'm going to sit here, though. And not only that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get some friends. And we're all going to sit together and talk about what a great guide you are. And we're going to sit, we're going to sing songs. They've written songs about like going up the mountain and how great that is and following you as a guide and how great the view is. We're going to tell stories about people that have gone up the mountain with you and how that encouraged us, gave us the courage to walk up the mountain. 
And when you need us, we'll be right here sitting in these chairs talking about that. The guy at some point will be like, but then you're not following, are you? See, what's so wild is this can be the norm for us. Jesus says, do this. Cool. I'm going to get my small group. We're going to pray about that. We're going to do a study about that. We're going to sing songs about that. Because that is a good thing to do. I'm not going to do it. But man, I'm really going to think about it. We're going to process that together. Right? Too many Christians see this as the norm. But guys, it's time to be active. You're as young as you'll ever be. So you're waiting for that time. Okay, when we get past this season, then we'll, but the season's been a long time, hasn't it? COVID, the pandemic has lulled us into like, well, I'll just wait for this. When? When? There was, some, there was wisdom that said, okay, when we get past this hump, like, I don't know, when they figure out how to control this virus, when we figure out vaccines and how to figure out how to, how to quarantine and all kind of stuff, we're beyond that now, guys. Right? And so when, when? For some of us, what the couple years of the pandemic taught us to do is it pacified us. It taught us new habits of apathy. And they were right for the season. Can I tell you that? They were right for the season. Look, we were one of the first ones to shut down, one of the last ones to open, so I'm there with you. But that's not the season anymore. And for some of us, we need to get our butt in gear. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, we need to get our health back. We built some bad habits, what we do with our time, with our friendships, with our food, with our working out, with our spiritual habits, and it's time to go, we need to reboot this. We need to reboot this thing, right? So it's time to be active. It's time to be active. God is at work. So join him in making a difference. And the second thing is this. If you're going to do something for God, don't just take a stab at it. It's kind of cheesy. Tell a little tongue-in-cheek. Don't just take a stab at it. Right? Ehud didn't go, eh. <laughs> right? He went all in. Literally. He went all in. One of my favorite movies, Rock and Shoulder Clips, who would totally change uh, this vibe. But one of my favorite movies uh, is the action thriller, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Have you ever seen the movie? It's Jesus' favorite movie, too. And there's a scene where, you guys ever see the scene where he's got this, um, they're like, a yeah, snowball fight. You remember the scene? And he's like, snowball fight. I threw it like this. And he goes, eh. <laughs> and he's like, no. And so then he gets, he gets in, he starts chucking snowballs at everybody. It's a really good moment. Anyways, Google it. Uh, it's really funny. Some of us, we're just kind of like, eh. But God's not doing anything in my life. Well, how could he? Right? I feel like God's not speaking. I feel like church and my, whoa, church and my relationship with God is making no difference in my life. Well, yeah. It's like if I go to the gym for 15 minutes three times a month, it's making no difference. Well, yeah, how could it? I've eaten three pieces of broccoli all month. It's my veggie intake all month. I feel like I'm really tired. Well, yeah. Right? So where are you just taking a stab at it? It's time for you to go all in. Maybe, maybe you've never gotten baptized or you got baptized as a kid and then you've had lived a lot of life and you made a lot of dumb decisions and you've rededicated your life since then and you haven't been baptized since you've rededicated your life. For some of you guys, that was years ago. You've never been baptized since then. Can I challenge me to get baptized? If you've been around the church for a while and you haven't gone to engage yet, you're like, man, it's four hours on a Saturday. It is. It is, and I'll be there. 
I'm going to put in the work, whether it's one person or 30 people. It is, and it's a commitment. But are you ready to go all in or are you ready to go, eh, see how it's working out for you? Maybe you need to join a small group. But if you're in a small group, maybe God's leading you to, to start a small group. Maybe you need to be faithful to God with your finances. You're like, man, Tucker, I feel like I'm always in a cul-de-sac. I'm always in financial trouble. Well, maybe because you're not being faithful to God with your finances, and then you're asking God to bless your finances. How could he? That's literally like me not planting any seed and wondering, how come no plants are growing? Because you're not planting any seed. So maybe there's a need that God's put on your heart over and over and over again in your local community, at your kid's school, or a need you're seeing or going, man, I wish someone would do something about this population that needs to be served in my community. Yeah. Do you know why God put it on your heart? Because Ehud, you're supposed to do something about it. And you can focus on, but my hand, I'm, I'm left-handed. I, I'm, my hand doesn't work the same way. Yeah, sure. So you can focus on why you can't do it, or you can go, God, would you help me? And do what God has asked you to do. So maybe you need to serve somebody that's not connected to the church at all, but there's a people group that God's put on your heart and you're supposed to do it. But God wants to work through you to make a difference. Every single person in this room, God wants to make a difference through you. The, the question is, will you be willing to take the first step? I know there's all sorts of reasons. I'm really busy right now, Taka. I can't do it right now. I'm not this. Sure. So if you want to keep going down that, that rabbit trail, you can. Or you can just decide enough is enough. It's been 18 years. It's time for me to do something. Quit talking about it. Quit bellyaching about it, but actually make a difference. And here's a dangerous prayer I want to challenge you guys to pray. And it's dangerous because God is faithful to answer it. And then you got to do something about it. But here's a prayer. God, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me do? This one, people are like, Taco, what needs do you have in the church? We have tons of needs, but that's not the important question. The question is for you to pray, God, what would you have me do? And I think at the right time, God will say, okay, let's talk about this now. I think for some of us, we prayed that prayer and God's told us and we're like, nah. What's behind door number two, God? Right? So what has God already asked you to do? Why don't you do that? And then pre-decide that you're going to obey him. And then once you do that, ask God again, now what do you want me to do? And then pre-decide that you're going to obey him and do that over and over and over again for the rest of your life. And you know what, that, what that's called? Following God. We've called attending services following God, and that's not what it is. Attending services is attending services. I love Cirque du Soleil. I, can, I, I attend them as many times as I can. I'm not an acrobat just because I attend it. And going to church doesn't make you a Christ follower. Okay, so one day, one day, you're going to look back at your life and see story after story of how God used you. You're going to see story after story of how your life gave others the courage to follow him too. It's going to happen. Or you're going to look back with regret of what could have been, what should have been. What would have happened if I just followed God? I'm not saying follow what Tak is saying or following a local church announcement. It's not what I'm saying. You're going to look back and regret what God told me to do and I didn't do it. It could be connected to the church. It could have nothing to do with this church. You can look back and see faithfulness. You can look back and see regret. Now is the only time you actually do something about it. 
So as we end today, we're going to end with communion. Joe will lead us through it. And I want you to remember a Savior. We're all going to remember a Savior. Me too. That went all in for you. All in for you. And says, I want you to do the same. I want you to do the same. So let's pray. God, I just pray. I pray for no shame. I pray for no guilt. I pray for no condemnation. I know sometimes I can get passionate and I don't want it to come across wrong. If there's anything that the enemy is energizing to make us feel guilty or dumb or shameful, that is not the goal. I pray you strike that from our mind. But God, would you catalyze us into action? Would you catalyze us into motion? Would you help us to realize that you are good and our time is short and to make those moments matter? for the rest of our lives, to make every breath, to redeem every second for something of eternal significance. So God, use us. Would you give us the courage of Ehud? Would you help us to see things that can be, not just see things as they are? Would you help us to not get caught up in how we can't with our weaknesses and our challenges? Would you help us to say yes and trust that you're going to develop us to be what you need us to be, to accomplish what you need us to accomplish. God, we want to look back at a life well lived, not a life full of regret and wondering what could have been. We want to make a difference. We love you, God. We commit this church to you. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.